Being a kid should be about using your imagination, learning, and having fun. These children shouldn't have to miss out on simply being a kid because they're hungry. To find out how you can help end childhood hunger in your community, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. And good morning and welcome to Saturday in the studio. I'm Tom King. Merle Kelch is on the other side of the world right now uh, on his uh, far travels. And so we are joined in the studio this morning by attorney Alan Haugam, Haugam Law Firm here in Wausau, to talk about estate planning issues and things of that variety. If you have a question about that, today would be the day to get it answered. Give us a call, 715-845-2155. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Tom. How are you today? Hanging in there. Just one more day in the deep freeze, and then it's supposed to warm up and spring will arrive. Spring is here. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Uh, but So uh, I, as you walked in this morning, I, I did my usual. I said, what are we going to babble about on the show today? And you have a topic for us. I do, Tom. You know, one of the things... Uh, that I've been speaking to some groups recently, and and the topic that seems to have come up more recently than it has in the past is, uh, you know, what do you do not so much when someone passes away? Because you know, our our firm is, you know, we specialize in estate planning and elder law, and that means different things to different people. But but when people talk about it, they usually they ask us questions about, well, if something happens to me, if I pass away, or if my my spouse and I both pass away, how do we transfer things? We've gotten more questions recently about what happens while we're living. Uh, you know, who can handle things? How do you do things? And it really revolves around some documents that uh, are maybe overlooked by some, but but oftentimes are as important, perhaps more important, uh, and they're what we call the powers of attorney. And it's really just naming someone to to who can make decisions, someone who has the authority to make decisions, both for for financial decisions and medical decisions. Yeah, I would imagine most of the people listening know the term power of attorney, but they probably don't realize that there are many different kinds and what they all do. Yeah, and I think that's where some of this comes from. You know, and, and I, I think there's a, a a little bit of a difference in how you would attack this, depending on whether it's for healthcare, the medical side of it, or if it's for financial. And I think Tom, I think you're right that 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 they they don't realize that there are are different options, and not different options as in uh, you know, like uh, you're walking down the department store and you want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But I think really it, it's the options as to when the rubber hits the road and someone actually needs to use this. Um, and, and those become pretty important scenarios. What is it that they can do or what is it that they're, they can't do? You know, are there things that they are precluded from because of how you set it up ahead of time? Do most people uh, face a situation where a power of attorney would be needed to be used? I would say it happens uh, uh, it, it happens, certainly happens more than you would realize just because uh, not everyone has a, uh, uh, a long and, and healthy life and then something happens that uh, suddenly one day uh, they pass away. Uh, you know, it, it, and certainly that happens, obviously, and, and, and they're all different scenarios. But I would say it's very common where someone, they, they live a, a, a long and, and fantastic life and then their health declines. You know, as we get older, our, our health declines. Sometimes it's physical health, uh, sometimes it's mental health, sometimes there's a combination of those two. Uh, it is just it's just the aging process. And you say, well, as things slow down a little bit, it might be more difficult for me to physically get to a bank. Or but you say, well, I can do computer banking. You know, well, that's, sometimes that's maybe not not my favorite thing to do, or not for every uh, senior, it's not their favorite thing to do. So so just physically getting to some of these financial institutions. Uh, the other part is. Obviously, you know, just the the overwhelming kind of um, uh, mental side of it, 
you know, I, I, I go through with, uh, you know, some folks even how to handle, you know, the financial questions. What questions should you ask your financial advisor? Um, and, and, you know, that the financial side of it can be great, but, you know, you need to know what, what questions, how to frame it. And sometimes that just gets to be a lot. You know, by the time we figure out, um, you know, my traditional IRA and my Roth IRA, and then uh, some is not in an IRA, and, but some's in an annuity, so it's tax-deferred. But, but how many years is it tax-deferred? And is there a penalty for taking out this year but not next year? And, and if I take too much out, does that affect, you know, the, how my Social Security is taxed? And, and if I do that, then I get to deal with Irma, Irma, who uh, affects my Medicare. Anybody who's ever dealt, if you, if you don't know who Irma is, avoid her like the plague. <laughs> she is not your friend. Obviously not a real person. If, if, uh, correct. So if uh, it's, it's the Medicare adjustment. So if your income is above a certain level, they make you pay, mo- they take more out of your social security check for Medicare. And at some point, it doesn't take long. And you go, this, like, I'm just not, this is not how I want to spend, um, you know, the, the energy I have during the day. You know, can I have someone help me with this? Um, and would it be in my best interest to have someone help me with this? And that's where we run into, the, you know, these powers of attorney. And that's where that, I think that, that question gets framed. All right. Well, why don't you just jump in and give us some of the examples of what people could look at? Well, I would say for the, now, <clears throat> the, the one thing where I think this gets a little bit confusing is for the healthcare side. So, if, and these are, these should be two different documents. Every once in a while, uh, you'll see these drafted into one, healthcare and finances. But for the healthcare, I think you keep that one separate. So maybe we'll just talk about that one briefly first. Uh, you know, the healthcare side of it really comes from uh, uh, the probably the mid 70s is where the genesis of this comes. If you remember the uh, the name Karen Ann Quinlan that we've brought up on the show before, it was the mid 70s. She was a 20 or 21 year old uh, New Jersey girl uh, who uh, mixed uh, uh, some alcohol and some drugs at a party and uh, it, it affected her. And she she lapsed into a, essentially a coma. And, and slipped into a they persistent, a persistent vegetative. vegetative yeah, state. That's exactly. a legal term, isn't it? Yeah, that's it is. Well, it's it, it kind of medical slash legal. That's where that came from, and I, I think that's where that became you know known. And she never recovered. And uh, her parents wanted to turn the life support machines off, and uh, the hospital wanted to turn the life support machines off. And I believe it was the state supreme court of New Jersey that said hospitals don't turn machines off. Hospitals keep people alive. That's their duty. So they kept her alive, and it was more than 10 years. In fact, I don't recall the, the exact number of years, but it was a long, long time. So what the court said was she was an adult. You know, she was about 21, and she wasn't an adult for long, but she could have given someone the authority to turn the machines off if she had wanted to, but she never did. So they kept her alive. So they almost assumed that because she didn't sign something giving you the, the power to turn the machines off, that she wanted them to stay on. So they kept her alive for years, and all the states responded to this with a document to do that. That's the fallback position of the states, that if you don't have this document, then it is your intention, whether it's intentional or not, to keep the machines turned on. Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of an easy one to, to, as illogical as that sounds, is you say, well, you must have wanted those things to stay on if you never drafted something to give someone the authority they to turn them off. They don't look at Americans as being inherently lazy and never right. getting around to doing Correct. it. Correct, yeah, which is, is obviously the case for 99% right. of the time. So what they did is they drafted this document. They originally called it a living will. Now, a will, you know, listeners, longtime listeners of the show will know, is is, is a financial document. That's where does your stuff go when you die and you go through the probate court. That's a will. So this is a living will. It's kind of unfortunately named, in my opinion, because it's a medical document. It has nothing to do with finances. It's a medical document that just says, <clears throat> if I'm ever on life support or if I'm on a feeding tube or if I'm in a persistent vegetative state, 
either keep those machines running as long as there is electricity in this town, or you check no. So, you know, if I'm never going to recover, please turn the machines off and, and basically let me go. And everybody checks no. They say, of course, they want those to be turned off. Well, what we found out not long after those documents came about was that there weren't really three medical questions. There's 10,000 medical questions. And you can't possibly answer all of them, Tom, ahead of time. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't come up with all the various combinations of things that might afflict you. So the way to, to deal with this then, kind of the, uh, the evolution of this, became drafting something called a power of attorney for health care. And this is just a document that names a person who can make any medical decision, any health care decision, if you are living, but you're not capable of communicating what you want. So what you do is you would say, well, uh, Tom might say, I want Mrs. King to be the uh, my agent. So if something ever happens to me that I want her, she would know what I would want. And uh, so it's, it's, I mean... Wouldn't you wouldn't you think that the person that that most people would suggest would be someone who doesn't have a financial interest in you well, dying? Well, it's a, that I mean, that has been uh, that question's been posed. Um, so if all of a sudden Mrs. King says, "Oh, Tom's going in for back surgery," I think it's been a good ride. Yeah. As they pull the plug. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's it's long enough. So you know you can't quite do those things. But um, but you name someone, and oftentimes if you're married, you name a spouse. Um, the, the backup after your spouse might be the oldest child or the closest child or the child that you have that, that works in healthcare. Or if you don't have children, you say it's my sibling, or even if you do have children, it might be your sibling or your niece or nephew or your best friend. So you name a person, but then they can make any medical decision. And there's some limits to it. They say, you can't, um, you, you can't do anything that's medically contraindicated. Um, so th- some of these sentences in this document have about three negatives in there and it's a, uh, but such is life. It's a, it's a document. Wisconsin's had the same state form for almost 30 years. I believe it's been since May of 92, and, and someone can check me on that. But they haven't changed. They changed a couple of words, but essentially it's the same document for 30 years. So if you fill that out, it's good forever. Every doctor in the state has been trained on it. And what you're doing is you're saying that that person can make any medical decision. That document, by the way, is free at the clinic. It's free at the hospital. It's free on the Internet. Uh, you know, we'll do it for our clients for free. I mean, it's just, you just want to make sure it's a state form. Just fill the thing in, make sure it's there. Um, very easy to do. Um, so for, for healthcare and everybody says, wow, that's great. You know what they should, we should just, well, as long as we're doing the state document, the, the state healthcare power of attorney, um, we should grab one that the state has for finances. And the state of Wisconsin does have a, a document for financial uh, decisions or a power of attorney for finances. And in my opinion, it's not very good at all. Um, and I would not recommend it. And you say, wait a minute. You just said the state form for health care was great. And it is. I did. Uh, and the state form for finances isn't. Well, I would say, in my opinion, not. Um, and really what, what the state does is they go even further. And, and the state becomes very uh, big brother-ish. They become very paternalistic about the financial document. And I think what it is, Tom, is they don't think people can understand how big of a deal it is to name someone to make any financial decision for you. So they go overboard in restricting what that that financial power of attorney agent could do for you. And by the time you sign it, if you just sign the state form, you say, well, I got the, the health care one, I'll grab the state form for finances, and, and you sign it, and then you think, hey, well, that's done. I don't need to cover that step anymore, and just forget about it. And years later, something happens to you, and we need to use it. Oftentimes, it's so restrictive 
that you can't do the very things you would want to do when that comes up. All right, we'll take a break here. You'll come back and tell us about some of the ways that it is bad and some of the things that you think can be changed uh, by someone in your profession. If you have a question for Alan today, today's the day to get it answered. Give us a call. We are live in the studio, 715-845-2155. We'll be right back. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn. Look at my toe. That's gross, man. News Talk WSAU. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King along with Alan Haugam, Haugam Law Firm here in Wausau, pinch hitting from Earl Kelch today. Let's go to the phone this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? This is Deborah Dorza from Tomo, Wisconsin. Hello, Deborah. You're on with Alan. Go ahead, Deborah. Hey, I've got a question for you. Um, Is a trust better than a will? Does a trust, I mean, a will, you're stuck in probate, and a a trust, you're not? Or there's probably good and bad about both, I suppose, depending on your situation. Yeah, we can get in. You know, I think, Deborah, really what it comes to, the way I would describe it is, uh, instead of someone saying, uh, which, which document do I like better? And I think it does come to that, that at some point, everyone kind of decides which one do they choose. But I think the way to think about it is what are your goals? And if you say, well, my goal is, um, I, I like the concept of everything going through the courthouse. I like the concept of going through the probate court. Uh, well, then what you do is you draft a will. Because a will, you know, we can read it. You know, you and I and Tom and, and anyone else can read a, what a will says. But no one can use a will. Nothing gets distributed to anyone unless that will goes through the probate court and the probate process, uh, which is literally just at the courthouse. And it is a, you know, probably anywhere from, could be a year-long process. I think the state, the state has a, a deadline of a year and a half. That's an 18-month deadline. And it's everything that, that transfers that you have that goes through that will has to go through this, I would say, a slower, uh, more formalized um, court process. And anytime you have a court process, it takes longer and it costs more. So it's just, I mean, it's just inherent in that. So if you said, okay, but there's, that it's, it's going to get to the right people? Yes, it, eventually it will get to the right people. Great. It's going to take longer. It's going to cost more. It's going to be a public record, you know, because it's a court record. All court records are public. So your, your wills and your financials and all those things after you die will be a public record. But someday they're going to be, you know, three checks written to the three kids. Perfect. Um, if someone said, you know what, I'm not such a big fan of, of slow and expensive and public records uh, and, and just cutting three checks at the end, um, is there a way you can avoid that? And I would say, Deborah, that's where you would think about uh, some type of a trust. And there's lots of different kinds of trusts. So at its most basic, you might say, well, we just want to avoid probate. That's all we want to do. We don't see any point in, in paying a probate filing fee that filters its way down to, you know, the state of Wisconsin and it goes into the black hole and nobody sees it again. Why would I just donate that check? Why don't I keep that money in my family? Or, or why would I spend a year or a year and a half kind of going through this court process? And the probate courts, you know, they're just doing what they do. You know, they have statutes that they have to follow. So it's not the local court's fault. They just have a state process. Would it be less to draw up one of those trusts than you would spend going through the probate system? And I think that's what you do in the end is you'd say, 
I think, Tom, that's, that's exactly the question that you come to, is you say, wait a minute, the cost, the, and Deborah, the reason people draft wills, there's a couple of them. One is, the, prim, primarily, there's not many pages to it. You know, we can probably, you know, draft your will by the end of the program today, and it's valid for the rest of your lifetime. And the reason is it has to go through the courthouse, and the courthouse has a year and a half's worth of rules to it. So if you draft a trust, uh, there, it takes a little bit more work. There's a little bit more time involved. But you're right, Tom. You, you know, in some cases, you might save, you know, 80% of the cost when, wow. when you pass away. I mean, it, it's just something. It's very stark. Um, and, and obviously, you know, your mileage may vary on that, that, that some are more and some are less. But I would say I can't imagine a scenario where you wouldn't save more money by drafting a trust and administering a trust than it would cost to draft a will and administer a will. So, you know, what a will does, Deborah, is it's much less expensive to do right now for you, but it leaves more work and more cost for the people who come later. So if someone says, well, I'm not all that concerned about the cost after I die, you know, how much, what's the least impact on my, I mean, just dollars and cents, what is the absolute lowest amount of money I can put into this right now? And even if it costs 10 times more when I die, um, hey, that's coming out of my kid's budget. <laughs> and, and frankly, it's part of the gift that they're receiving. You know, right now, this is money coming out of my pocket. The money that comes out of their pocket is a, is a it's extra. It's a gift. It's a, it's a distribution to them. So if they get something out of it, that's great. Um, you know, you, you can do that. Obviously, in most families, they would think of this kind of from the bigger picture where they'd say, well, for us and our beneficiaries, whether it's kids and grandkids or nieces and nephews or anyone, for, for me plus all of my beneficiaries as a whole combined, what is the least amount that we can send out of this family? And, and you say, okay, let's, you know, it's like an ounce of prevention prevents a pound of cure. I think the other thing about it is um, it has been uh, described to us uh, that maybe... Uh, oh, I don't know how to say this this politely, but you know, probate work, Deborah, is a lot of it, it can be a lot of very easy, time-consuming legal work, and then you have to hire somebody to do it, called a lawyer. And when you pay the lawyer to do the probate work, um, many many times the lawyer will charge you by the hour. So if we think about this, we say. If, if a lawyer says, hey, Deborah, I think you drafting a will would be a great idea. <laughs> it's because someday every will is going to get attached to a probate. So I that is, you. yeah, it, it's just a future. You know, if someone says, I'd, I'd really like to build up some future, you know, just some, I got file cabinets and file cabinets and file cabinets of these one page wills, because every one of those someday is going to be a, a very easy, time consuming billable by the hour legal project, you know, you can kind of see where Lottery this Lottery tickets that can be cashed in at yeah, a later it's, date. It's sort yeah, of, yeah. you know, the second half of the career turns into, you know, a lot of easy hourly work. And, 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 and maybe that's, that's not the case for everyone, certainly. Um, and there might, there are certainly circumstances where a will is perfect. You know, sometimes we think of people starting out, you know, we'll oftentimes see the, the 22 year old couple where they just had a baby and, uh, uh, they don't, they have no assets. You know, they probably have, you know, car loan and, and they're renting an apartment and there just aren't any assets to transfer, but they just want to name someone who will, who the guardian, the guardian of that baby will be if they both pass away. Well, just for peace of mind, let's draft a will. Let's just get it in place. And, and as the years go by and their assets accumulate a little bit, we, we might have a, a better plan for that, but you know, there are places for it. But, um, but I think Deborah, the, the thought is figure out your goals first. What do you want to accomplish first? 
Um, and there are many more uses for trusts, you know, how you give things to kids, protecting your kids after you pass away in case one of the kids gets divorced and, you know, all those kind of things. Um, just any of those possible scenarios. Long-term care, you know, we talked about that one. We can talk about that again. Probably we'll talk about that in the context of the powers of attorney discussion. But, but I think think about your goals first, and then we'll figure out, you know, what, what would meet your goals. Much better way to do it. So, okay, great question. Well, I appreciate the information. You have a great day. Thank you. All right. Thanks, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 715-845-2155. We need to take a break for some news. We'll come back with more. We're with Attorney Alan Haugam on the program today. 715-845-2155 is the number to call. We'll be right back. When I was in Iraq, our convoy was hit. One by one. Hello? Hi. Am I on? Call after call. Thank you for taking my call. You're invited to join the voices. Those voices. This is crazy. Those voices. In our head. The truth doesn't matter that much in our world today. Rat media, treason media. It's what can I push with the loudest voice? Loudest voice. You know, I gotta thank you for being a voice of reason in a sea of insanity. Are they nuts or what? On WSAU. And we're back in the studio. I'm Tom King along with attorney Alan Hogan. Let's go back to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, Harlan Steinke. Hey, you're on with Alan. Go ahead. Uh... I got everything on a, a beneficiaries. Is there anything wrong with that? So, Harlan, uh, you beat me to it. I think this was the, uh, what we're going to do is probably spend some of this segment saying, well, what if you just have everything listed with beneficiaries? What happens then? Yeah. And I think oh. you go back to what Deborah was asking. What are your goals? And if you say, my goal is to reduce the filing fee with the court. My goal is to, the day we pass away, just send it directly to the kids. And you say, great. Um, did you accomplish it? Now, with beneficiaries, sometimes we say, well, it's what I have is I have bank accounts. Great. I have uh, retirement accounts, investments, life insurance. Those all have beneficiaries. So if I die, we just cut a check. Now, for the people who own real estate, um, you can. It is legal to draft a transfer on death designation for real estate. I would not recommend that. That kind of falls into that statutory power of attorney category um, just because I think naming the kids as a transfer on death beneficiary causes a lot of nightmares for them um, as to what they do with it. Now you got three kids who own one house. I would say where that works better is if you have one child and one person gets everything. Then yes. Well, but what, say, what would uh, either either they would have like I have also I have a will and they have a certain amount of time in order to do something with that house. Yeah, so, so you got a will. And, but I also have that document uh, that you're talking about. They're, they are on the, on the, you know, in the house. Yeah, I would say from the person who's doing the giving, Harlan, from your standpoint, I don't have any problem with it at all. What the problems that we run into is after something happens to you, and, and, and this is not a, a judgment on your children. And I don't know, how many children do you have? Two. Okay, so not a judgment on your kids. Um, but I would say very often in families, we will find out not every single family has two kids that get along beautifully. Um, they have different opinions, and then they're married to different people, and those people have opinions. And suddenly, we'll have uh, two people pe- receive a piece of real estate, and then and you say, hey, from my standpoint, Harlan stands back. He dusts his hands off, and he's out of this, and he says, this is great. I avoided the filing fee. My two kids get this, this house. And then the kids say, so every single document when, when, you, when you deal with that house has to be signed by both of them. Everything has to be agreed on by both of them, which means their spouses may also have a marital property interest in this. So if they're married, you might have four people that have to agree on everything. And now you say, "Uh uh-oh, wait a minute. 
four people have to sign everything. Well, we're going to sell the house, right? And one of them says, I want that house or that cabin or that cottage or that hunting land or that farm. And they say, I want it. And you go, okay, well, that's great. Stays in the family. Heck, that's even good for you, Harlan. Stays in the family. And you say, okay. Um, and then the person who wants the property to stay in the family, they think uh, that, well, then, you know, you're going to have to pay off the other kid because I don't want to share this house with my sibling and my sibling's spouse, you know. No, 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 no. I want this cabin for myself or this house for myself. So then the person who wants to keep it has to write a check probably of some way. They've got to give some of that money to the other side. And the person writing the check always thinks that check should be smaller than the person receiving the check thinks. The person receiving the check says, hey, that property's worth a whole lot more. Have you seen the real estate market lately? This, this real estate market's crazy. I mean, everything's up you know, 20, 30% over what it was a couple of years ago. And then the person who's writing the check says, well, that's not what the property tax bill says. The property tax bill says it, it should be this number. And I think we should go with that. Well, again, so everything that happens after you. So Harlan, I agree with you. I agree with you as to it's an easy way for you to transfer that away from Harlan. Um, but that is not the best way for the kids to receive it. Um, and then you say, okay, so now the kid who does receive everything through your beneficiary designations, through your transfer on death with the real estate, if, if any of your kids gets divorced, either one of your kids gets divorced two years later, three years later, 10 years later, and hopefully nobody gets divorced. I don't wish that on anyone by any stretch. It's awful. Um, I've never been divorced, but I've dealt with plenty of clients who have, and it's, it's, it's just heartbreaking. Um, so but you say, if either one of them gets divorced, whatever you gave to them, and again, not, not if they get divorced a week after you die, but a couple years later, two years later, three years later, four years later, what you gave to them as an inheritance through your beneficiaries, through the transfer on death of the house, through the POD on the bank account, whatever you gave to your kid, they get to keep half of it, and their ex-spouse, they, they leave with the other half. And you go, wait a minute. Did we have to do it that way? And we say, no, you don't have to do it that way. We'll go back to Deborah's question. You know, if, if Deborah and I had been on the, the call a little longer, we'd have said, you know, what's the next goal for Deborah? And Deborah might have said, well, I want to get my stuff to my kids. I want to save the most money. I want to do that. But I also want to protect the kids. If either one of my kids ever gets divorced, I don't want, you know, I, I love my daughter-in-law and I love my son-in-law and they're part of the family. But boy, if they, ever, if they ever change personalities or have a midlife crisis or, you know, come home with a red convertible and a girlfriend and, and say they're going to divorce my child, I don't want them to take half of the inheritance. They're already going to divide their stuff 50-50. But now they're going to take half of the inheritance too? Why is that? Um, all I was trying to do was put a payable on death designation. All I was trying to do was put a beneficiary designation on that account. And now it's going to get divided 50-50 if anyone gets divorced. So all of a sudden, I would say the, the tick marks in the column of, of grief start to add up a little bit. Now, and again, from your standpoint, you might say, my kids are never going to get divorced. My kids agree on everything. My kids and their spouses always agree on everything, and they will agree on everything, even for finances after I die. That might be the case for your children. I would say that is rare, rare. Um, and, and you say, is there any way we can avoid this? Yeah, so that, that's where you'd put a little bit more into it. Um, you know, and even sometimes we'll have people that say, you know, what if you give an, a distribution to one of your kids and that child passes away? And you say, you know, what does your bank say about that? What does your financial institution say about that? Um, do you say, well, I, you know, my will, my will says it goes to, um, you know, the next generation. So whatever went to my child would just go down to the next generation, goes to their kids. 
Well, their kids, you know, your grandkids might be 18. And if you give an 18-year-old, you know, one-fourth of your life savings, they're not going to college. You know, they're, they're, gonna, they're not even going to get a job. And, and you go, what? Not because they're bad kids. They're just 18. And you go, oh, and a lot of money in their pocket. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and every kid does this. You know, they buy a sports car and, and they kind of goof around for three years and then the money's gone. And, and now they're three years older and it's kind of, you know, things go a little sideways. So, well, wait a minute. Hopefully a child doesn't die before you or at the same time. But, but if it does and your will says it goes to the grandchild, that happens. What if you have just on bank accounts or beneficiary designations? I just have my two kids. It just has my two kids' names 50 50. Well, then a lot of those financial institutions, I would uh, venture to say most all of them would say it does not go to your grandchildren. It goes to your one living child. So now 100% of every financial instrument you have goes to the living child who lives longer than you, and zero goes to the children of the child who passed away before you. And you say, whoa. Now, hopefully, no children die before you. But all of a sudden, you start adding these things up. And again, in some families, they're not going to run into this. But, but a lot of families we deal with do. And if you say, Isn't there, is there any way we can fix this? Well, yeah, you can you go back to Deborah's question. What are the goals ahead of time? And if you say, I want to I make this cost less, uh, but, but I also you know, understand that cost less means cost less for the whole family in total. So, so I think, I'd, and Harlan, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the question there. You, you kind of beat me to it. But, but there's a lot more to it than just I'm going to put my name on this one and kind of turn, turn away. Anyway, okay, thanks for the well, questions. It's it's a great setup, so I appreciate okay, it. Thanks a lot. All right, yeah, thanks, thanks for the question. 715-845-2155, the number to call here if you have a question for Alan this morning. So the power of attorney documents. Um, what are the first things you look at when you're putting together one of those? You know, I think a lot of that goes back to, and, and we're going to pick on poor Deborah again, uh, you know, you say, what are the goals? And sometimes what people will do with the power of attorneys, they say, I want someone to be able to handle my finances if I'm ever – um, incapacitated and not able to do it. Now, there are different types of powers of attorney, too. You know, if right now I don't need a power of attorney because I'm healthy, I might only need this once I become incapacitated. How do we bridge that gap? So we might talk about that a little bit, too. All right, but we do have another call here, so let's go right oh. back to the phone. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, this is Joan. Hey, Joan, go ahead. Good morning, Joan. Um, this is pertaining to the call prior I have beneficiaries, and I have that um, my house is um, upon the death will go to my kids. Okay. Does that keep it out of probate? Yes. If, if the assets are under 50000 Yep. So, Joan, uh, the, uh, let me introduce you to Harlan. Uh, Harlan, <laughs> no, but it, it's, it really is. So if someone said, I just want to avoid probate, and what I, what I would say is, can we avoid the probate filing fee? The probate filing fee is two-tenths of 1%. So it's $200 for every 100000 And if someone says, like if, if we had that list of goals, Joan, again, we'll kind of combine uh, Deborah's question and Harlan's question. Um, you know, with Deborah, we talked about what are your goals? And if someone says, if, if we went through a list of 20 possible goals and someone said, the only goal I have, the only goal I have is to avoid probate. Can I do that? Say yes. And there are some pretty straightforward ways you can do it. Number one, Joan, is you just give everything you have to the kids right now. I don't think that's a good idea because you need no. to live on it. Plus, there's some pretty severe penalties for long-term care and nursing home care if you just give it to the kids while you're living. Um, the second thing is they always say, no, I just don't like probate. Uh, so I want to give everything to them by a payable on death designation, a transfer on death designation. Um, 
And if I do, you reference that $50,000 number. The state says if you can get all of your other assets that don't go by payable on death designation or beneficiary designation under 50000 if I can do that, uh, so everything else like my car, the lawnmower, the grill, my jewelry, the guns, you know, all that other stuff, if that's all combined, less than 50000 the state lets you waive the probate uh, and you say, hey, we got this thing figured out. We got this problem licked. We're done. And, and I think, Joan, if on your list of goals, if we say, hey, here's 20 possible goals, and the only one you have is to avoid probate, you have accomplished that. Now, if you say, again, just like Harlan, is that the best way to give things to the kids? Um, I would say, I, w- I would venture to say, you might consider that it might not be the best way to give it to the kids. It is the, it is the most straightforward way for you to get this problem off your plate um, because I just put everybody's name on it. Now, you know, sometimes you'll say, and, and we'll have families where they have five kids and they put five people on the beneficiary. Now, again, let's hope nobody ever gets divorced. Let's hope none of the kids ever pass away before you. Let's hope none of the kids ever have a financial problem. Obviously, you can never have long-term care needs or nursing home needs or any of that kind of stuff. Let's hope you dodge every one of those bullets. And then you give all those things to the five kids. And what happens? After you pass away, you still have bills. You still have to figure out how to clean out the house. You still have a funeral. You still have medical bills, believe it or not. You have, you have bills. Well, who, who pays them? And you go, well, I named somebody in my will. Well, that person in your will doesn't have the authority to pay those bills unless it goes through the probate process. What um, if you don't have a will? Yeah. Now who I doesn't? <laughs> now they disagree. Who can sign your tax return? Joan, you have, to sign, you have to file an income tax return after you die. Oftentimes, you have to file two income tax returns after you die. Who can sign that? And you go, I don't know. We, we didn't go through a probate. Who, but who pays your bills? Because you gave all your money to the five kids equally. And and one of the kids, maybe one of the kids, is somehow responsible to, to handle your bills and figure it out. But they only have one-fifth of your money. They have their one-fifth of your money. Now, do they have to pass the hat? And one of the kids says, I don't I don't agree with that bill. Now, all five kids have to split up every bill five ways, and we got to write five checks for every, you know, and you go, does this really happen? Yeah, this so really happens. So I do need a trust then. <laughs> well, I would say... I would say what we need to do is just make a list of goals. I would never tell anyone you need this. That, that's document. the only thing. The only thing I want is just to have my bills paid. Yeah, and, just and, well, and people in the end, the well, people say I want to make this easier and I want to make it less expensive. No one is Tom in twenty years, Joan. No one's <laughs> right. ever came to my office ever in twenty plus years and said I want this to be more time consuming and more expensive. Everybody <laughs> says I want it to be easier and less expensive. And but a trust think, and a trust for most, for the most part would do that. I would say less expensive when. Less expensive overall. Yeah. The total money yeah. leaving the Joan family. And as we said earlier, yeah. the cost of, of putting together a trust that what you would pay now, you will get back in the long run at the end. I, I would say, um, you know, that that is what that is the experience we have had, and I think that's the experience most families have. And if someone okay, says, well, well, I don't thank like you it. very much. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Joan. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. We need to take a break here. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Alan, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural. So that is why Alan is here to take your questions today. Boy, you get on automatic pilot sometimes and you just sort of <laughs> sort of roll, right? That's okay. Yeah. So, what in the time we have left here? What else did you want to tell us about uh, powers of attorney? I think I think the you, you come back full circle, and and I think the the questions that we had today, you know, Deborah, Harlan, Joan, I think they all really um, 
kind of frame the question as to what are your goals? You know, and, and instead of thinking of a solution first, saying this is what I'm going to do first, and then we'll figure out what it does later, or someone else will kind of pick up the pieces as to what it did or didn't do. I think, think of your, your goals. And with the power of attorney, the goal is oftentimes to say what happens when I need this. I don't need a power of attorney now. Now, if I remember, Tom, when uh, uh, we called up the National Guardsmen and they had to go to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan for you know Desert Storm and those mm-hmm. things, well, you had very healthy, very able-bodied, able-minded uh, people who were suddenly... They were, they were away for a year, and you needed someone who could sign financial documents for them because they still had tax returns to file, and it wasn't like we had perfect Internet access to the desert. So they could, fi- they could draft a power of attorney that was immediately effective. So, so they were very healthy, but their spouse or their parent or their sibling could sign that. Good. Um, and you say, well, wait a minute. You know, you and I might say, well, we don't need that now. I don't need a power of attorney that's effective immediately now because I am very capable of signing my own financial documents, and, and I should. But when I need it is I need it when it become when I become incapacitated. So if you do that, then you have something called a durable power of attorney. So the durable, that word um, in front of power of attorney, durable means it survives my incapacity. So even after I become incapacitated, it's still effective. And I say, well, that's when I need it. I, I literally don't need it while I'm healthy. I need it after I become incapacitated. So, so you can even draft this, Tom. You say, hey, I don't want this document where, you know, Mrs. King can, uh, you know, sell the house and cash in the family fortune. And, you know, while I'm on the radio this morning, you know, I go home and I'm, the, the, the locks are changed and, and I'm out because she had the power of attorney. Is that how it works? I go, no, 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 that's not how it works. So what happens is you can draft something called a springing durable power of attorney. And the springing durable power of attorney says it is not effective. Mrs. King cannot sign for you while you're healthy. It only becomes effective after you become incapacitated. And you say, well, that kind of matches up to, to what I have. I'm not going, to, I'm not going overseas for the, the, with the National Guard or any of those kinds of things. Um, I only want it to be effective after I become incapacitated. Um, that, that, might, that might work. So you can either make it effective immediately and, and some of our clients say, no, I don't, I don't need this to be springing after become incapacitated. I kind of want some help now. I want one of my kids to help me out now, or if I can't make it to the store, or if it's a little icy on the roads, I'll send them down to the bank. That's perfect. Just make it effective immediately now. It's very common. If you say, no, I'm a li- I'm, I want to be in control a little bit more, and I, I'm a control freak, and I don't like that, um, you know, maybe I look in the mirror, and I see one of those people, and I say, no, I, I just want that to happen after I become incapacitated. Then it becomes springing. Now, the reason we do these, too, is even when would you want someone to handle your finances? For example, the state form, the state form for, for financial documents, for the power of attorney for finances. Remember, we love the state form for healthcare. We don't like it for finances. And the reason is the, the state form for finances says once you become incapacitated and you do need something like long-term care or nursing home care, the state form restricts your agent from doing things regarding long-term care and nursing home care. So now your finances are kind of locked up tight and you can't do the type of planning you normally would think you could. And you say, really? Like, that's when I would want them to do it. So that's where we would say, um, for the healthcare one, you can grab that one right at the clinic. The financial one, I think, you know, maybe get some help with that. And if you say, is that my, my uh, estate planning attorney or my estate planning and elder law attorney? Yep, there's lots of really, really qualified, very good estate planning and elder law attorneys just within the the, our radio station footprint, you know, or the people listening on the podcast, uh, you know, all those things. So you'll just find someone that you like, that you trust, that, that, that you think 
kind of understands your goals and understands what, what you want to accomplish. Um, but I think the power of attorney for finance is the one that, that is probably a better served by that professional helping you out. All right. Well, if folks want to have more questions for you and want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? Well, we've got a couple of locations. Our main location, Tom, is on the west side of Wausau. We also have a location in Rhinelander if you want to stop in and say hi to Greta. But uh, uh, the Haugam Law Firm, the uh, the phone number, the main phone number is 715-843-5001, Or the internet is uh, haugamlaw.com. H-O-U-G-U-M-L-A-W.com. All right, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Tom. We'll see you then. And uh, coming up, we've got the news. The Polka Show's on the way. No sports on WSAU today with the Badgers basketball team losing yesterday. They are done until the NCAA tournament starts. We'll find out that tomorrow. The Bucks are in action tonight at Golden State, and you can hear that game on our sister station, 93.9, the game pregame show at 7 o'clock. We've got the news next on WSAU. ADHD. It's the child who can't pay attention or sit still in school, right? The answer may be yes. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, can be complicated and it can last a lifetime. Living with a condition can sometimes be a challenge. It may take years to accept a formal diagnosis, and it's not always easy to find the right treatment plan. Did you know that up to 75% of children and adolescents with ADHD have at least one additional mental health condition that also requires a comprehensive approach to treatment? ADHD guidelines were recently updated to reflect the need to screen for associated disorders. Be sure to talk with your child's doctor about proper screening and visit moretoadhd.com for additional information. That's moretoadhd.com. This message has been brought to you in partnership with Ada, ACO, and Chad. We all make choices. When it comes to alcohol, kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Bye-bye. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em, have a seat for a second. Remind me 